0: Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. We bless you this morning, Jesus. We declare that you are the King of Kings. We're here because it is what it is that you have done for us and then we truly do stand in you. And our joy and our life is found in you. Our hope for eternity. And he says the security, all of it is found in you. And so we lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Place our hope firmly in you. As a part of that, Jesus, we bend the knee as well. We recognize that you are everything you've done everything given us everything and so all we have to give is ourselves not that we have to pay you back for anything we couldn't possibly hope to but it's just right it's natural in response to who you are everything that you've done to us for us that we would bend the knee and say Jesus all that we are all that we have is yours rightfully yours as king as we come before you as a group of people and we bend the knee Ask that you would speak to us this morning. We are your people. We believe in the power of your word as we ask you' to speak to us this morning, that you would bring challenge, conviction, but also Father, you'd bring comfort, encouragement. this we pray for in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, "Amen, amen, you can take a seat. Fantastic. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to church. What a blessing it is to be back here with you guys this morning. Today is the conclusion of our series, Your Kingdom Come. And I'm taking what is just a small step of faith, because I haven't actually been here for hardly any of it. But I'm taking just a small step of faith when I say that I'm thinking and presuming and hoping that it has been a great blessing to all of you here this morning, this series, and I hope this morning is as well. Graham talked to us last week about healing, and from everything I've heard, what my wife talked to me about, it sounded like an incredibly powerful service. Well, we live in a broken world, and none of us are unaffected by it. so we have this shared desire to see the kingdom of God break through, and with it, healing and wholeness. It's just a, a wonderful thing. And this morning, I'm focusing on, on what is almost the other side of that coin. Just as we see Jesus break through on a physical level through healing, there are a bunch of examples in Scripture of Jesus breaking through on a spiritual level through deliverance. I know how difficult that word can be. Well, let's just be honest. There's a whole lot of baggage associated with that word. So I just want to allay some fears right off the back, okay? We're not going to be going on a witch hunt this morning. I'm not going to be asking you to lay hands on the person next to you and cast out a demon unless you really think they need that, but I'd be cautious on that one. I just want you to relax. It's going to be okay. None of that is happening, so hear me out on this. When I talk about deliverance, I'm simply talking about Jesus setting us free because that freedom, that fullness of life, is a key marker of the kingdom. Where Jesus reigns, there is freedom. There's life and light, and it stands in stark contrast to the darkness of our world. And that's where I want to start this morning. If we want to approach this passage with some authenticity, then we need to be honest about the spiritual reality of our world. Our culture is constantly pushing us towards the physical, the material But we don't live in a purely physical world. We aren't just physical beings. We're spiritual beings. And there is a spiritual dimension to our world. Now, let's be honest. There's a whole lot of us who are living as if that's actually not true kind of just going about our day completely unaware, not thinking at all about the spirituality of our world. But the Bible is so clear. This, this, all of this is not all there is. That our world is about more than that. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, "...be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you may take a stand against the devil's schemes." For our struggle, and he's talking to all of us here, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, stand. It's pretty clear in the Scriptures. Spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. Do you know the word angelos or angel appears more frequently in the New Testament than the word for love or sin? That's a strange thought, isn't it? Now I'm not saying it's more important than either of those things. I don't think that is true, but I am saying the Bible spends an enormous amount of time talking about the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle we find ourselves in, and yet there's a whole bunch of us living as if none of that is true. And it's just not right, it's not in congruence with our own scriptures. So before we go anywhere this morning, let's lay that foundation. The enemy is real. He's real. He seeks to discourage and frustrate God's people that we might be ineffective for the kingdom. And if you've never experienced that, can I say to you, it's probably not a good sign. Because that says to me that he doesn't think you're a threat. And it could just be that you're already ineffective for the kingdom. And that's a challenging thought. That he wouldn't even bother coming after you because he's not worried about you at all. That's a challenging thought. Now, we are in the spiritual battle. I've seen it time and time again when people get baptized. There's just something about that step of faith and obedience that the enemy hates. So I warn people now when I meet up with them and I do their pre baptism booklet thing, I warn them. You're taking a big step of obedience, and the enemy just isn't going to like it, so he's probably going to try to discourage you, and I had that exact conversation with a young guy just last year, just out there, and he got baptized right over there, his testimony was incredible, it was an amazing celebration, and then he disappeared for like three months, and I'm texting him, I'm harassing him on Facebook, nothing, ghosting me, for three months, eventually he gets back to me, says, can we have a coffee, I get this text late at night, and I think, oh my goodness, yes, finally. I text him, absolutely, let's have a copy. I meet up with him, man, what's happening? Where have you been? He said, I know you warned me, and you were right, but I just wasn't ready. I went from this incredible spiritual high through to the roughest period I feel like I've ever had, where the enemy was just smashing me, and I was so discouraged, and I just kind of spiraled, and so on and so forth. We are in a spiritual battle. The enemy wants nothing more than to rob you of the joy and the life that's yours in Christ. And yet, and this is our great hope, where Jesus reigns, there is freedom. There's life and light. That's what we're looking at this morning. But before we go any further, let's read our passage together. So open up to Luke chapter 4. It'll be on the screen for those of you who don't have your Bibles here this morning. But I do always encourage you to bring your Bible so that you can check on what we're saying. For all you know, we could be speaking absolute rubbish. So it's good for you to bring your Bible and check that that is not the case. So Here we go. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. It says this, Then he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In a synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. That you are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all, And came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news spread about him throughout the surrounding area. So we pick it up this morning with Jesus making his way to Capernaum. And just to give you a little bit of context, this story comes straight off the back of Jesus' rejection in his hometown of Nazareth. You might remember the story. And Jesus goes to the synagogue, opens up to Isaiah 61 and says, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying, I'm the guy you've been reading about. I am the promised Messiah, now, they weren't too happy about that. It's fair to say they didn't believe him, and so in response, they tried to throw him off the edge of a cliff. Jesus manages to escape, and then he makes his way to Capernaum, which is where we pick it up today. Capernaum itself was a much bigger city than Nazareth. It's located along the Sea of Galilee, and it actually became Jesus' base of operations for the whole next part of his ministry. So what we read of today, Jesus going to the synagogue, that wasn't a once-off. This was something that Jesus regularly did as a part of his ministry. He would regularly go to the synagogue and teach as a visiting rabbi. A little early in the chapter, it says that Jesus taught in the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. This is Jesus' modus operandi. goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and teaches Now, I actually think that's something that we need to keep in mind as we look at this story, because that says to me Jesus wasn't out here looking for a demon. He wasn't out here looking for a fight. He was there to teach. That's what his ministry was about. His focus was on the people around him, not the enemy. He dealt with that stuff when he was confronted by it, but that wasn't his focus. And so here's the tension with everything that I just talked about before. The enemy is real. We are in a spiritual battle, and we need to be aware of that. But our focus is on the people around us, not the enemy who's against us. We're focused on the kingdom. We're in the people business. That's what we're about. When Jesus gave us his mission statement... This is his orientation. It's right there in Isaiah 61, what he read out before the people. If you read that passage, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's here in Capernaum. Wasn't just teaching people about the kingdom. He was ushering it in. And he spoke with the authority of a king ushering in his kingdom. That's why it left people amazed, astonished. Because nobody else teaches like that. This is a different thing. He's ushering in the kingdom. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, but then in verse 33, we're told that he's confronted by a man with an impure spirit. It's an unusual and somewhat uncomfortable picture, particularly when you think about the context. This isn't Jesus walking the streets of some pagan city. This is Jesus teaching in a synagogue, a house of God. People of God are gathered together. It's the Sabbath, so they've come to worship and and sit under the Word, and right there with them is a man with an impure spirit. It's not supposed to work like that. It's not where the man, the demon-possessed man, is supposed to be. And it makes you think about our own context. Maybe not to the extreme of demonic possession, but it's a great reminder for us. Don't assume the person sitting next to you is fine just because they're putting on a brave face. Through all you know, they could be broken and hurting and desperately in need of a touch from Jesus. I'd love this to be a place where people came to church believing that God might actually want to use them. A place where people came to church ready to minister. And be ministered to. It's the whole point of the body. And so it's this great reminder for us. Don't assume the person sitting next to you doesn't need you. Or that maybe the Lord wouldn't want to use you to bless and encourage and build up the people around you. It's a great reminder. Having said that, I'd hate for you to think that this could happen to a believer. We've got to remember this story is taking place prior to the day of Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer here this morning, the scripture is very clear. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The enemy can try to discourage you, he can try to frustrate you, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3 makes it so clear where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He can't take or or possess what is God's. He doesn't have the authority or the power. And we see that in this story. In verse 34, the demon says, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. I read that and I see anger and bitterness, but I also see fear. I see a being who understands the power and the authority of Jesus. It's an awareness that we see reflected in James chapter 2. James says, you believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. They know who Jesus is. They know what he can do. You know, there's a movie that came out in the 70s called The Exorcist. I don't know if you've heard of it, maybe even seen it. it. Won an Academy Award and the Golden Globe. And it started this whole new genre of film, yay for us, called Supernatural Horror. And it's still going today. I remember watching Paranormal Activity when I was around 19, somewhere around there, and nearly pooping my pants. And I'm not even ashamed to say it. I hated that movie. I don't like horror at the best of times. It was just something different about this kind of movie. I hated it. I nearly pooped my pants. But you know, I think in a real way, I think movies like The Exorcist and Paranormal Activity have subtly influenced our understanding of spiritual warfare, of what this looks like. In the movies, there's always this desperate struggle between good and evil, and you're not really sure who's going to win. But if anyone seems more likely, it's probably the demon. Probably the bad guys. And the movie usually starts out with some poor Catholic priest showing up to try and help, only for that guy to get absolutely wrecked as he's holding his little wooden cross. And then it just kind of escalates from there. That's the narrative that Hollywood throws out again and again. But that's not what we see in scriptures. It's not what we see at all. There is no battle. There's not even a struggle between Jesus and this impure spirit. No, he speaks, and it's finished. It's done. The demon has no choice but to obey. That's the power and the authority of Jesus' word. And it's such good news for you and me. Such good news. Just think about it from this guy's perspective. I can only imagine how desperate he must have been. That is a place of utter darkness and despair. I can't imagine it. And yet Jesus breaks through all of that. He transforms this life's guy forever. Sets him free from darkness and despair. And he does it with a word. He speaks. And everything is changed. It's the power and the authority of King Jesus. That's what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come. But here's the best part. That's just a taste of what's to come. A glimpse. Graham shared a little bit of this quote from Tim Keller last week. I want to share the, the whole thing for you. He says, Jesus' miracles were never just magic tricks designed only to impress and coerce. us." the bit that Graham shared. He says, instead, he used miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry, and raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus came to redeem what is wrong, heal the world where it is broken, his miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. That's powerful. And that's what we see in verse 36. We see a group of people who got a foretaste of the world to come, a glimpse of what life looks like under the rule and reign of Jesus and it left them dumbfounded. The word means stupefied, dumbfounded, amazement to the point of rendering something immovable. They're just standing there. They can't believe what they've seen, what they've got a taste of. The joy and the life and the light that's found under the rule and reign of Jesus. Church, we are in a spiritual battle. Whether we like it or not, we're in a spiritual battle. Just look at the opposition that Jesus faced. Just look at this short little story. He was nearly killed in Nazareth, and he makes his way to Capernaum only to face opposition again. He wasn't looking for it, but he wasn't surprised by it either. You never see Jesus go, Oh my goodness, I didn't expect this. He's never surprised. The enemy's real. He hates God, hates the kingdom, and wants nothing more to make you ineffective for it. And yet, this story says to you and me that we don't have to live in fear. We are in a spiritual battle, but where Jesus reigns, there is freedom. Just to summarise this whole passage down into one sentence, that's what I would say: where Jesus reigns, there is freedom and life. So what does this mean for us? Because I'm fairly confident that most of you here this morning don't need an exorcism. Some of you are a little odd, grant you some quirky, eccentric people here this morning, but. I'm still, even with you, fairly certain that's not what you need. I think the freedom that Jesus is talking about is more than just demonic possession. It's about more than that. I think about it's it's about walking in the fullness of life that Jesus has for you. And the truth is that you might be sitting there this morning putting on a brave face, but actually really struggling. You might be sitting there in chains, whether that's bondage to sin or unforgiveness or whatever else. The enemy can't touch your salvation, but it doesn't mean he can't try to rob you of the joy and the freedom and the life that's yours in Christ. And I was talking to a young guy a little while ago. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. Came to the Lord after school somewhere around there. But he struggled with an addiction to pornography even after he'd come to the Lord. Praise Jesus, the Lord has set him free from that now, but at the time he hadn't. And that's not to say that he didn't have to be vigilant. He would say he absolutely would, but he's been set free by the Lord. So I asked him, what was it like walking as a Christian before the Lord set you free? And he said the overwhelming, sorry, the overwhelming emotion he had was fear. It wasn't just shame. Shame was there, but it was Fear. He's afraid that he wasn't good enough for God's purposes. Afraid that he was missing out on on the fullness of life that God had for him. Afraid that people would see him as a disappointment. Afraid of being humiliated. He's afraid of being a hypocrite. Afraid of the damage that he could do. It was just an enormous amount of fear that he carried. And he said it was paralyzing. That's the word he used. He said it was paralyzing you be real for a second? There's going to be people here this morning who know exactly what that's like, because that's you. And it doesn't have to be pornography. I don't want to limit this and make it all about pornography. It's not what it's about. But you know what it's like to live in chains, to be paralyzed. And you need to know we love you. The Lord loves you. But he has so much more for you than that. I asked him, what did it feel like when Jesus set you free? And I got him to write it down. So these are his words. These aren't my words. He said, it's hard to explain, but I just feel at peace now. I no longer have this inner turmoil grieving my conscience. I no longer feel guilty reading the Bible. I can pray to God, and instead of spending half an hour confessing my sexual immorality, I can spend the same time thanking God for his goodness. I feel like I actually live as an adopted child of God that he set me aside to be before the universe began, and it's priceless. That's what he said. He went on to say that God had taken away that fear. He'd also taken away his sense of legalism, because ironically, he used to cycle between this sense of extreme despair, but then also pride when he'd been good for a little while. The Lord had taken that away and given them a fresh appreciation of what it means to live in grace, in the unconditional love and acceptance of the Father. It's a beautiful thing. We are in a spiritual battle, but there is hope. And this is our hope, where Jesus reigns, is freedom and life. So here's how I want to finish. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're at, Every one of us could do with a touch from Jesus. We all want the fullness of life that He has for us. And we know that freedom, that life is found where He rules and reigns. And so the invitation this morning is for you to pray a simple little prayer with me that as one people, we would invite Jesus to rule and reign in this place and in our lives. It's a prayer of surrender that we might see his kingdom come. We might see the king sit on the throne and then be blessed by it. Here's how I want to do this. I'd love it if you could just bow our heads and if every eye could be closed. No formula or anything like that. It's just about a little bit of privacy, blocks everything else out, and it makes this moment just between you and the Lord. That's what I want. doesn't matter about anybody else just between you and the Lord. I'm going to read out Isaiah 61, Jesus' mandate. And then, if you want to touch from Jesus, I'm just inviting you to pray this simple little prayer with me. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. That's what Jesus said he came to do. And so I invite you to pray this simple little prayer with me. Jesus, we love you. We declare that you are the king. And we ask as one people for you to come and rule in this place and in our lives. We bend the knee to you, the king of kings this we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.